Hello there. Welcome to the Oblivious Maximus podcast for another episode. I'm your host, Aaron Osborne. This episode, my guest is Monica Strutt. Uh, Monica sings in a band called The Last Martyr and hosts a podcast called Being in a Band, which I am going to be a guest on soon. So check those two things out. Uh, Monica and I talked about City of Evil by Avenge Sevenfold. A record that I definitely have never listened to in full before, but I've heard songs off, obviously. And yeah, it was fun to have a chat about a record that I really don't have much knowledge about and uh, listen to a bunch of guitar solos, which is very heavily featured on this record. Um, Monica's band, The Last Martyr, have a new single launching on the 20th of August called Afterglow. So check that out. And otherwise, check out her podcast, Being in a Band, and all the stuff that she does at monicastrut.com. I'll put the links in the description for the podcast as well. But otherwise, please enjoy episode 114 of the Oblivious Maximus podcast with Monica Strutt talking about Avenge Sevenfold. Fucking brutal. Monica, thank you for doing the podcast with me. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. It's a very um, relaxed intro from my end. Of <laughs> starting, I was starting like, oh, are we starting? <laughs> That's how you start podcasts. I'm a real pro. Love it. Um, all right. So you picked City of Evil by Avenged Sevenfold. Why did you pick this record? So when you asked me... I guess, which album I want to do. This was pretty much the first one that came to mind. And it's not that this album is like my favorite album of all time necessarily, uh, or one that I listen to regularly at this point in time, but it just had such a huge impact on me the first time I heard it. Um, so much so okay. that it definitely is, is like a moment that I remember. So I thought, Hey, let's go with it. All right. So when, when was the first time you heard it then? Yeah. So the first time I heard it was I remember going to my dad's house and he was in the middle of moving house. And basically all that was left was like the couch and the CD player. My brother had left City of Evil in the CD player and I'd gone and no one else was home at the time. I'd gone to like pick up some stuff or whatever. And my younger brother, as I said, had left this CD in the CD player and I was like, oh, this artwork looks pretty cool. So I put it back in and Beast and the Harlot started playing. So okay. this was one of the first times that I think I'd heard like really guitar driven heavy music that wasn't like 80s rock because even though 80s rock is before my time, that was kind of all I knew when it came to like really heavy, like guitar driven stuff. I mean, I kind of had sure. like the gateways of like Linkin Park and like Evanescence, like on the mainstream radio, but in terms of like stuff that wasn't mainstream. Um, yeah. It was like the first time I'd really heard a band um, mm -hmm. that was outside of that 80s genre, outside of the mainstream. And I was really, really, and still am like Guns N' Roses is one of my favorite bands. Um, so I could have easily selected yeah. one of their, their, their albums, but um, interestingly Avenged is like very influenced by Guns N' Roses. So it was like this beautiful, yeah. like bridging moment. 
Well, I mean, it's certainly like a, it's a guitar record, that's for sure. Like, I mean, it's like one of the things like the, I think one of the notes that I made about the record is that like, the, I can't remember, I could be wrong, but I feel like maybe Backcountry or one of these songs was like in, was like a big song in Guitar Hero, like in that video game. And so, like, I don't know if it's that song, but regardless, the music of this band is like perfectly timed for that. Like it's, it's when metalcore stuff, like bands that I guess what they sounded like before this, like when other bands of that peer group, I suppose, start becoming like so guitar heavy and it's all about solos and whittly tapping bits and things like that. And like this band was like the, the right at the center of that. Yeah. And like, I, w- I was just listening to the record before jumping on the call because I haven't listened to it really properly in a really long time. And it's kind of like, you know, Sinister Gates is like style is, it- it's like all the songs kind of meld into each other. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like the album is just like one big song. It's almost like a bit of like a rock opera. That that's what remind me, yeah. r- reminds me of. Re- that's what it reminds me of, and I think that that's why I really loved it is because I came from like a musical theater background as you know as a performer and vocalist when I was a kid, and so mm-hmm. you know being like you know having exposure to like eighties rock and stuff piquing my interest. And then hearing something like Avenged, which is like so theatrical, I think that that really yeah. appealed to me. Well, I mean, it's got like, it's got piano in it. A lot of the songs are very orchestrated. Like it definitely sits within that. I mean, like the, you know, like f- right from the get go, the first, like the start of it is a very like, you know, power metally, like Iron Maiden type vibe as it gets going as well. Like, obviously it's got the Guns N' Roses influence, but like a lot of that, I suppose like orchestration comes from, you know, a lot of the, you know, those bands that play in stadiums and play to like when, when a band that, you know, of, I guess this band's style and size pre this record, like it's a pretty bold statement to start the record off. Like, so like, you know, like it's, that's, (laughs) That's like a really big, you know, that's, that's a big thing to do. And like, they, they kick it off right from the get go. Like It's really going for it from then. Oh yeah. Like I was sitting on the lounge room floor and like, just that first note when it hits then wow, 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 wow. Like, it's just so <laughs> like, it just like smacks you in the face straight away. And I was like yeah. this 15 year old kid. I don't know how old I was like, yeah, maybe like 15 or 16. And I was just like, it was almost that moment where it's like the um, the air was blowing out of the speakers and my hair was like flying sure. back and I was like, holy fuck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, I mean, particularly, um, yeah, Beast in the Hull, it is like that song that just, it's still, um, you know, it's still my favourite song off the record because it just leaves such an impact. Yeah. Well, I mean, like it's, I think the, the thing for me is like, I, I don't know that I... Like, I don't know that I really knew about this band when they were, like, when it was happening. Because I think at the time I was very much, like, deeply into, you know, cool guy, long hair, death metal was where I was at at the time. But, like, what I didn't realize 
just doing a little bit of, you know, more, obviously I knew who the band were and I knew, knew what they sound like and stuff, but like, I never realized like how successful this band has gone on to become. Like this band is fucking huge. Like they have two number one album debuts. They have five platinum records and they've sold 8 million albums. Like they're an enormous band. And it's so funny because they're a band that I feel like is quite polarizing. Like, yeah, for sure. Just mentioned like in in sort of like the long head <laughs> kind of like death metal phase, mm. and I don't know. I feel like the um, Avengers do cop a lot of slack from maybe like I, I don't know, like tr- not necessarily like traditional metalists because that concept kind of sounds ridiculous when I say it because like there is such a traditional metal like Iron Maiden like power metal oh, influence yeah, sure. in it, but like. Yeah, I'm not sure why it is that um, I think maybe because they they were so melodic, and I think around the time that yeah. they came out, like I definitely remember, you know, when we're talking on my podcast about like playing and going to like shows in like halls and stuff like that, and that's yeah. kind of like the intro. I think like there was that thing where it's a band was uh, like the heavier the band was, the cooler it was. So it's like, well, how low can we tune? How many breakdowns can we have? And they were kind of rebelling against that wave that was coming through. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, they essentially do the exact opposite. Like, I mean, the, the, I think, and I think probably the, and I mean, I don't know if this was part of like the idea for them or not, but like, I mean, you can still hear in this record, at least you can still hear some of the sort of like metalcore type, influences seeping in the fact that there are like songs kind of with breakdowns and stuff in it but you know obviously where other bands like you said go like tune as low as possible and the the songs become as simple as possible structured around breakdowns or whatever whereas this goes like the complete opposite way like the tuning is more in line with how he's singing which is obviously something that they have to think of and then also they're just ripping guitar solos every three seconds. So it's like <laughs> they've gone, they've gone like the complete other way from, you know, from breakdowns all the time, basically. So may, maybe that's it. I think, I think for me, like the thing that was really jarring, why I wouldn't probably have even like listened to it would have been like the visual branding or the aesthetic of the band. Like they're very much like at this point, at this point, they're very much like the warp tour, hot topic, like mall goth aesthetic, which is bonkers. If you just like, if you don't know what they sound like and you look at a picture of them, this is not how I think that band would sound like, you know? Yeah. I mean, you think of Avenged and you just think of bandanas and hats and just like Yay. five members that look like Axl Rose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like young Guns and Roses, but that that being said, like I think there is a part there is a part of that like that that stuff in um like the metalcore or emo scene or whatever that came from like you know as much as I don't think people would like to admit it like a band like this looks more like eighties Motley Crue than like what Motley Crue look like now. You know, like they, they're closer to that than, you know, than, than what that band goes on to become. So, I mean, it is in, but maybe it's like ignorance of the time or whatever, but I mean, yeah, like I, I don't think, 
certainly when this band was like popping off, I don't think I realized that this band was like as interesting and as cool guitar wise as they are. And I think, like you said before, another, like maybe another polarizing part of it too is his vocals. Like his vocals are, are not like as straightforward as they might be. And like some of the notes he chooses and some of the things he like tracks he takes with singing is like, is very different to what an, like a, a standard metal band would do, you know? Yeah. I love um, shadows so much as a vocalist. And even the fact that, you know, just tying in as well to Gunners is, you know, the fact that he calls himself like M shadows and Axel yeah. is like W Axel Rose. And so again, it's just these like funny, like little moments that I could grab onto as a person who only knew like eighties metal and kind of gravitated to. <laughs> um, but like, I, I, I feel like, uh, cause I know a lot of their older albums, which I didn't really start getting into them so much until this album. Um, he screamed a lot more. So I feel like, um, yeah. it was definitely a lot more like, hardcore I guess influenced um a lot less uh polished potentially as well um but to me like he's still one of my favorite vocalists just because of that diversity like his screams are they sound like someone who takes care of his voice (laughs) yeah. yeah well and I think it's like I think that's something that maybe is unfairly judged as well when someone decides like, well, you know, and obviously it's not just him, like the band would have had to have been on board with it too. But like someone decides like, I'm going to start singing. Like I'm going to start going for it singing, which is if you're coming from screaming, like that is a huge leap to take. Like it, particularly if you've not done it before. And I guess like, again, in doing like a little bit of like research and looking into things for the record, like, he seemed to like bust his ass to learn how to sing, you know, like he, he's not like one of those, I mean, and I'm, I would say like every band I've ever been in has been guilty of it. Like someone just decides like, yeah, I can sing. And then like you spend three years recording records and stumbling over your voice before you actually become good at it. Like, whereas he clearly went and put in the effort to try and become good at it from the get go, you know? Yeah, and I hear even to this day he he spends like days at a time just not talking in order to conserve his voice. Yeah, I could not. Well, I mean that. that. <laughs> well, I mean that that's I I don't know. I mean when I the the singing that I do in bands is very much just yelling, so it's not. I don't. I have no. I have no concept of how that works. But I mean, it, it, the thing for me too is like, you know, like I, when I came up in playing music. I knew a lot of people who could sing properly and I, you know, played in school bands and stuff like that and and did stuff where there was proper singing and I have a real admiration and obviously I love music with clean singing as well. Like it's not like I just listened to death metal, but it um you know, it's not something that I've ever managed to tackle or overcome myself. So for me when I when people can go from you know, uh, you know, changing a, a career path or changing a path in how they want to put out their art, I suppose, you got to admire the effort that they put in to do it. And I mean, I think you can hear, if you listen to the records after this, you can hear that the guy only gets better at singing as it goes as well. You know, like it's, you know, it's, and he's clearly putting in the effort and building up the toolkit to be able to do that, you know? 
Yeah. And I know like Bring Me the Horizon copped similar flack when they transitioned from, you know, Ollie screaming to the more like clean stuff. Um, But I don't know, there comes a point where uh, I guess like it's obviously dependent on like the music and stuff, but I went kind of the opposite way. So I I was a clean singer first and then I kind of reached a point where I wanted another tool for my toolbox and then I started to learn how to scream. Um, so I think like the more ways that we can use our voice, like sometimes it keeps things interesting as well. Yeah, for sure. Was that like brutal learning that for you though? Like, cause I mean, I think the thing for like, for me is like, I learned probably the worst way possible how to yell in a band, which is just like yell as loud as humanly possible and then figure out over the course of years that you're hurting yourself and then- <laughs> learning how to not hurt yourself and then you're 10 years in and you're like, oh, now I'm good at this. Uh, like, you went the traditional yeah. route, I see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Just get so drunk that you yell as loud as possible for 10 years and then you'll figure it out. Oh, man. Yeah, like, um, so I, I started learning to scream right before, or actually as I was moving to Melbourne. I remember having kind of the the inkling that I wanted to learn that skill in my old band back in Sydney, right before we kind of broke up. And I moved to Melbourne Mm -hmm. four years ago to kind of, I guess, have a new start and be in a city that was more vibrant um, or just something different, to be honest. (laughs) Uh, And, and, you know, as you know, like Melbourne is just so supportive for the arts and stuff. And like, I have this, um, I kind of just like packed up my car with like what I could fit in it and just like drove down one day by myself. I didn't know where I was going to live. And I have this memory of, um, me like blasting music in the car and just attempting to kind of like fry scream over it. And that was kind of the beginning of me learning how to do it. Eventually I took um, lessons. I had um, a a really good teacher based out of the UK. So we had Skype lessons, but um, I didn't do those too often because of the time zones. I would have to like do my lessons at like 11 PM, which (laughs) isn't like the best um, when it comes to like learning how to scream. Uh, (laughs) And for like a long time I was screaming one way and like recently I've been exploring um, like adding more like guttural components and like adding different tones and stuff because I was the way that I was like fry screaming before, like it was very quiet. So, and I, my clean vocals are like extremely loud because I've trained myself like of years and years playing in like rock and metal bands. Um, so yeah, there was always this weird mismatch, but the way I'm screaming now, um, it's definitely more from like my diaphragm and, um, it's louder, I would say. So I'm still learning. Like I've only been doing it a couple of years and I've been singing for like 15 years. So, um, yeah, like it's, it's always a learning experience. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, it's like, I think like anything too, like in like the bands that I've been in, like, you know, for years I was like, I would do like the backing vocals or whatever. And like, it's very easy to yell backing vocals live. Like it's super easy to yell five lines across a half an hour set. And then like, I mean, I even remember myself, like Mental Cavity is like the first band that I really started yelling in properly or whatever. And like, you know, I remember even like our first couple shows, myself and Alex, who's the other person who sings in the band, like we both afterwards were like, fuck man, we need to like, we need to practice is the first thing. Like we can't, 
this isn't like playing guitar where I can just, I've been playing guitar from, since I was like a kid. So I, I don't really need to practice that much, but like just the, the sheer effort that you have to go to, to, and, and again, like, I think not that it's a, a similar background, but like I did drama in school. And so like a reason why I'm confident at doing things like this and confident in performing I think comes from like doing drama in school like I'm not worried about being in front of people so and even I'm completely not worried about looking like a fuckhead in front of people so I'm fine if I'm yelling and it's bad because it's just like ah well it'll you know maybe the next time will be better but like things like yelling and singing are like it's you know it is so much physicality involved with doing that performing that you know that come that's so different to anything else about playing music like you know like you can record a record playing guitar sitting in a chair in a room when you have to sing like you can hear in a recording when someone is not putting in a hundred percent you know and like you said like you can hear when someone's screaming but it's quiet like mm. you can you know you can hear that well, yeah, I mean, the latest producer that we worked with, um, Chris Lalik, he, I basically was like joking around and like mucking around with my bandmates in the studio. And like, I just like screamed at them, like, shut up or like something like that. But like in like, well, like, you know, I must, I don't know what I did. But he was like, that, that is how, like, I'm not going to let you scream except for in that way. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, that was a joke. But, um, and it kind of like all spiraled from there. Um, yeah. But yeah, like back what you said about like high school drama, I think like our high school drama teachers have like need a lot more credit in life. Cause I feel like <laughs> <laughs> it was like the best subject as well. Like I always look forward to it. Oh yeah. It was like, and you know, for me, I think uh, I did like pretty serious, like, high school drama stuff in year nine and year 10 is in like trying to learn how to do it, you know? But for me, it was like, this is the best opportunity to like fuck around ever and be like really invested in mucking around. And it's super fun, you know, like, and I feel like I learned so much like later life skills than in doing that than I ever would have thought was happening when I was in it. Like just, you know, things like now, like in a work setting, like I have a teaching degree, right. And work with kids all the time. And when I, when I started working with kids because I did drama, like I was never afraid of talking in front of kids. All I ever wanted to do when I was in front of them was make them laugh. And that, that worked great for me in that aspect of my life. And then same with like the band stuff, like, I'm more than fine getting up in front of people. And if things go wrong, like then it's like a challenge to, to how you're going to save it and how you're going to make it good. You know? Yeah. It's uh, it's all uh, improv theater. And Ooh. oh man, just when you said mucking around, <laughs> we all used to hide from our drama teacher. We had this like big props cupboard and the whole class mm -hmm. would literally like squeeze into the cupboard and she would like rock up for class and there'd be no students there. We'd all be like giggling. And then we used to like burst out. I don't know. I don't know how many times we did it before she kind of like cottoned on to we were in the cupboard. But, um, <laughs> but like even like skills, like the yes and skills of improv yeah. and learning how to, not shoot down other people's ideas. And I, I, I find that that's so 
important for working in a team or like even in bands and stuff, like learning how to like take people's ideas on, not shooting it down, being like, yes, and we could also try this and kind of like rolling on. Well, I think, and I think like where things like that also lend themselves like really, um, you know, really positively too is doing things like this. Like it's super, it, you know, doing a podcast is like, it can be very challenging when a person is not like a really giving participant in what you're doing. And, you know, I feel like that that's like a really important just life skill to have is being able to be a conversationalist. Like even in, even in like work settings for me, it's been like so beneficial to be able to be, you know, to read a room and understand when like dead air needs to happen, but then also understand when like, oh, these people are not going to talk. So like someone here needs to drive this conversation, you know, and I, I guess I'll do, I'll do that. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I know. Like, um, I don't know if you know, but I've been a music journalist for like a few years and mm. um, I think that's one of the, definitely drama has helped in, in terms of like, even before I started the the podcast and it is so hard. Like when you, ha- when you're interviewing someone who has probably done like 10,000 other interviews that day and being asked the same bloody mm. questions because, you know, they have a new record coming out and, you know, that's the main thing that we're kind of talking about. But, um, yeah, it's like, yeah, there's definitely been some like interesting moments where you, I've kind of had to like read the room and come up with like a random, topic and just hope that that takes the conversation off into a more into a direction that's like more interesting for them so the conversation can flow oh yeah and like i as as like you know participating in interviews as well like you know i'm sure you've done too and i've done as well like when someone's interviewing you you can really tell the difference too between someone who's coming to it equipped to just ask you the five questions that come from the press release versus someone who has put in the effort to listen to your record and invest their time into understanding a little bit about who you are as a person. But then, you know, you can also just have someone who doesn't really know that too. Like, I mean, I've years ago, I did like writing stuff for Blunt Magazine, for example. And like when I would do that for them, like I would make sure that I put in all the effort that I could when I would go to do an interview. But then also I would make sure that I was ready for like what you just said, like be ready for someone who's you're the 10th call they've had that day. And, you know, they don't really want to hear about like, Oh, why did you record this record? Like, okay. Well, I don't need to tell you that story again. Like I try and find something specific to, to lock into with that. And like when, when you can build that skill, it just works so much to your benefit because you end up getting so much more out of the person that you're speaking with then as well. Yeah, there was this one time I had to interview um, Prophets of Rage. I think it was at Download. And um, I wasn't actually meant to interview them. I, um, I My like colleague was meant to. And I was in the opposite side of the festival having a drink all relaxed in the bar, <laughs> knowing that like yeah. I didn't have any interviews for the next hour. I could just like sit and watch the music. And uh, all of a sudden I get a text message saying that uh, they, they've rocked up to the interview. They're ready to go now, like 15 minutes early. And I was the first one to read the message. They couldn't get a hold of the other person who was meant to do it. So <laughs> I had to run anxiously from one end of the festival to the other through the mosh pit and sit down and interview a band that, to be honest, like I had 
really very, very little knowledge of. I knew that it was made up of members of several projects and that's about it. Mm. And um, so, you know, I was trying to make conversation and they were, I don't know, pretty, pretty over it. I guess they just had a bunch of interviews. Um, But then we started talking about Australian animals. I don't know how we got onto it, but we started talking about Australian animals and also like the latest book that they were reading. And that kind of like lit them up and sparked it. And I was like, that saved the entire interview. I was sweating. I was like the, uh, I still like think back (laughs) when I think back at that moment, I still get anxiety from it, but I think, you know, it was one of those experiences though. I'm like, well, if I can handle that, if I can interview like some of the biggest musicians in the world and have like pretty much no knowledge of their music or whatever, then, you know, I'll be right. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I mean, like uh, the 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 skill that it takes to navigate something like that without just melting down as well. Because if if in that situation you did just melt down, they would then you know then they feed off that, and then then that would bring them even further into their shell. You know, so it's you know being able to navigate through that's something really important, I suppose. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to bring this back a little bit to this record because I made more notes. Um, so the, I think another thing that I, I noted about this record is that I think another thing that maybe makes this band stand out so much is that because of like the peers that they're working with, like I mentioned before, like being a part of like the warp tour era circuit, but being a band that's like so guitar driven and having that influence of like Guns N' Roses and like the 80s metal stuff, like surely, at least from my perspective, they're the first band that kind of starts going down that path and really, you know, carving out something that then a lot of other bands start going down to like your Atreyus and other bands like that start following the same track. But it, to me, at least, it sort of seems to start from from this record almost. Yeah, I mean, Atreyu definitely is another band that kind of fits into that little category and then Escape the Fate as well was another band that I kind of uh, got into as well around that time. And um, it's interesting because at the same time there was, aside from like, you know, the the metalcore movement and everything, emo was like also really big. Um, Mm. So like around the same time was, you know, bands like The Used and AFI and everything. Um, which had like a different feel as well, not being so guitar driven, but I can also hear like in bands like Avenged, I can definitely hear the sound that was around during that time. Like the, the mice, like the peak MySpace era uh, where you're like, you're like one of the target demographics is like, Hey, like girls like metal as well. And like, you know, there's all these like sure. little scene kids like coming out. I was this weird like glam rock scene hybrid. Um, so whenever I think of that, <laughs> I just think of like teased hair and like mullets that we all cut yeah. ourselves at home. <laughs> cut ourselves at home. Cut the hair at home, not ourselves. Um, although, you know, <laughs> emo was very famous for that too. Um, we're going to put a trigger warning on this episode, but <laughs> I don't know what where I was going with that conversation, but yeah, Atrey You, Escape the Fame, there was this weird like glam emo hybrid metalcore yeah. thing happening, um, which was like had this like traditional metal influence, but also the emo influence. Yeah. So from from here, from this record, do you 
did you like go down a path like that or did this kick you into other stuff from here? I think so. I think I turned my emo-ness up a notch, I think, um, okay. at this point in time, because as I said, like, I mean, even though a lot of the, the shows that I went to around, um, the only gigs around were like Christian hardcore gigs or um, like Screamo and, and that's like the type of bands that were just in my local area, um, it definitely kind of led me to explore, okay, well, what are, what are some other bands that are on the same like playlists or there wasn't really playlists, but like what are other people burning on CDs along with their event sevenfold songs? So yeah, then I did discover bands such as like AFI and the used. And I'd say like I had my emo stage a little bit later than a lot of people because um, yeah, I just like didn't discover the music until like the very end of high school and just after. Um, But yeah, like, it's like it's still music that I definitely listen back to now and and transported to to that time and I I feel like it's coming back as well I'm like oh my god am I that old that it's it's now like it's like coming full circle (laughs) a lot of this stuff seems to be like coming back into trend for sure yeah and like with uh my chemical romance like touring again and yeah i mean there's this amazing band called wolf and chain from adelaide and they are basically like the new my chemical like a a new like modern version of like my chemical romance and you know how like music works in like loops and everything comes back around like this this comeback seems to have happened like really quickly. So I'd be very curious to know if metalcore becomes like the next big genre again, because I feel like we're, we are in like a new metal phase at the moment. Oh yeah. Big time. And like, and which is not, I, I mean, it's to be honest, like that's not really that surprising given that like we talked about when we, we did your podcast, like the, like new metal is like, bread for teenagers like it's bread for people who are um you know at home going through some shit like that's right now like that's the last 18 months is people being at home going through some shit and like so to me it is it is no surprise that new metal's like turning as big as it is i mean like and i like you know a lot of people are annoyed about that but like for me like it's inevitable like the this like you said like the cycle of this stuff turning back around is inevitable like i mean the, and it's the same in any in any um like genre of music no matter how niche it is nothing ever just you know perpetually progresses everything always comes back around somewhere or another i mean like even the music i participate in is all throwbacks to old stuff you know, like it's all Black Sabbath ripoff or it's all old death metal ripoff. Like that's, it's the same thing. It's just what you think is cool, you know? So like, it's no surprise that, you know, a big cohort of people that came from probably liking, um, you know, probably liking metalcore or things like that, then get into stuff that, you know, you know, can, can link from one to the other because of, you know, maybe it starts from like down tuning, for example, like a lot of those bands tune really low. And then, I mean, the, you know, corn and bands like that, they're the original fucking seven string guitars. Like that's that band, you know? So it's no surprise that that stuff comes back around as much as it does. Yeah. It's like this endless cycle of, you know, 
I've been sevenfold getting influence from <laughs> Guns N' Roses yeah. and now, you That's know, it. fans these days and, and, and the counter movements as well, I think is, I, I love like, I, I remember that was like one of the coolest lessons that I learned because um, I studied music at college as well, um, mm-hmm. was learning about those cycles and how like grunge was like the, uh, the opposite of, you know, the technical metal that was like, well, not technical, yeah. but like the, you know, the... I guess like metal that came eighties sort of like hair metal that came before it. And then after that was like new metal, which then brought in more of those um, technical elements. But, um, and then after that we had like, I guess like indie and like college rock was like really big, um, which was like yeah. simplifying it again. Yeah. It's, it's, it's always like a reaction to one or the other. Like, I mean, and, and I think that that's even like, you can get even as granular as how you, how you um, do that yourself. Like, I mean, I know for me, like in in playing in like melodic hardcore bands, the next step after that for me was to play in like hyper aggressive like metal because it was the response to like oh, the last band I was in was like expressing feelings of sadness. Now the next band I'm going to be in is express feelings of like complete anger. <laughs> and then like, then I even looked beyond that. Like it wasn't even you know, like in being an I exist, that's how I exist that it was like, everything is about being mad at religion because we didn't like religion. But then as that band goes on, that band just becomes like, all these songs are now about smoking weed and drinking <laughs> because like, you can only be so mad at religion. Then you just have to go like, ah, well, r- religion's fucked, whatever. We'll just move on to getting drunk's real fun. <laughs> like, I love that because it's like what you've described is kind of like the seven stages of grief or whatever it is. So now you're at yeah, the acceptance, yeah. <laughs> the acceptance yeah, stage just, and you're like, oh, I'm just going to get high. <laughs> yeah. It's sadness, then anger, then get drunk, then get stoned. And then you're really happy yeah. and then you're over it all. It's fine. Yeah. Hopefully the cycle doesn't continue. <laughs> that's, a, that's a, we've really dug deep into the metaphor for my life here tonight. Like, <laughs> Oh boy. From like 18, 18 to 30 was a real wild ride for me. And now I'm a happy person. I love it. I feel like podcasting is like therapy for like metalheads. <laughs> I mean, certainly I've worked through some shit over the last 10 years. I can say that. Yeah. Um, and it would, would, I'm very happy that people have, you know, like yourself, jumped on Zoom to listen to me work through my, work through my problems. I love it. <laughs> Um, all right. So I guess the other, you know, the other things to talk about is the the stuff that you are doing musically at the moment. So you've got new music coming out where like, how is, how is navigating that through the last 12 months been for you? Well, yeah. I mean, like everyone, it's been really tricky. We spent last year, um, finishing off an EP, we had two songs recorded Mm -hmm. and then it took an entire year to record the last three, um, Mm -hmm. which, you know, thank God for technology because that was mainly done remotely. Um, and so, you know, it was really frustrating in 2020 because we were kind of going through this rebirth as a band and kind of taking a lot of time to figure out how we wanted to present ourselves as artists and, um, we had a bit of a lineup change and there was a lot of planning behind the scenes going on. But then what was frustrating was not being able to implement that. And for me personally, I felt a lot of pressure of like, 
you know, I'm not getting any younger and there's like still so many things I want to do in my career. And when are we going to be able to travel overseas and I can, you know, we can go and, and tour America and Europe and all those, you know, amazing milestones that we set out to do when we started this band and what we set out to do really when we start, when we decided we wanted to pursue a career in music. So, I mean, a lot of like ups and downs and frustrations, but I'm really glad that we did have the time to be able to plan the execution of this next EP properly. So we released, um, our, the first single from the EP hindsight in April. And that was a song we'd recorded December, 2019. So, um, had been hanging on to it for a little while. Um, so that obviously felt extremely good to release and it was really cool because, um, like yourself, like we're very DIY. So I handle all the PR and the marketing, the guys, um, also handle like various aspects of the band and we keep, you know, we're very like, we try and be very good with like our finances and, and stuff like that. And, um, you know, or spending like so much time planning and visioning how the release was going to be received because it was quite different to our previous work. Um, we were really happy with the results. It felt very, very gratifying. So, you know, that single got, it went so much further than we thought it would in terms of, um, it started to get a lot of press like overseas and stuff as well. And we got like rotation on triple J and like, were the feature on a feature artist. So like all these crazy milestones, um, that we didn't really, I mean, we hoped that we would reach some of them, but then it was like that and more. So I think like having that huge release of it, finally, like people are hearing this music that we've been holding on. I mean, as you would know, there's nothing more frustrating when you just want someone to hear. Yeah what you've been working on, especially when you know that it's like so much better. Not that our old stuff was shit, but like, you know, we were so proud of like the new stuff. So yeah, that's been the journey. We're um, finally releasing the next single on the 20th of August. Um, It's called Afterglow. Um, That song uh, is very experimental. I'm just going to say like, there's a trap part in it where I rap in it. Speaking of new metal, (laughs) Yeah, and that was like one of those things where it came about as a joke. Um, in in the sure. much like you know the way that I scream now came about as a as a joke. Me mucking around, it was like, hey, what should we do in this next part? Well, let's just add a trap part because myself and Ricky and and the producer all listen to trap. So then all of a sudden he yeah. just started writing a beat, and I went home, wrote a rap, and came back, and we're like, yep, this is happening. So <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. Like I mentioned before, you know, when I, when we started playing, when my group of people started playing music together, there's no way that we would have envisioned ourselves just writing a bunch of stupid songs about smoking weed, but that's where we ended up. So, you know, it it happens. You got to do it. You got to do it. You got to express yourself. (laughs) So I'm very interested to see how it's going to be received. I don't know if it's going to be like polarizing, but I mean, coming from a marketing perspective, it's better to be polarizing and like, you know, have people like really resonate with your stuff than just, you know, be kind of like vanilla, I suppose. So I'd rather like turn some people off if it's going to like, you know, create more memories for other people who are really going to like it. Yeah. Well, and I think at the, at the end of the day too, like, I mean, the reality is it's, it's even though like being in music is something that's, 
obviously performative. So people are going to have their opinions about it and they're going to share their opinions about it at the same time. Like it's art. So it's incredibly subjective, you know, it's, and that, that's something that's always been like, I think challenging for me personally to, to interact with is that like, obviously as a person, you have your own tastes and you have your own feelings about things and you can absolutely not like something. But then something that I've always found challenging is like mentioning before, like if you do things like, you know, do music journalism, for example, like it, I feel like there's a distinct difference when you contribute actively to that art as well, where like, I don't, ever really feel good about writing like a panning review of a record like because the thing for me is like it it doesn't really matter what I think about it that's not really a good way to review something like uh, it's it's surely unless people want you for your your opinion like but for me it's like I, I would more rather talk about something in for the things that I do find interesting about it or the things that I think interesting to talk about it like like even just like Avenge Sevenfold for example like they're not a band that I would go out and listen to or a record that I love but like I'm more than happy to talk about the record and talk about the aspects of it that I know and understand and how it fits within the, the subcultures and cultures that's a part of like all of that's really interesting to me so it's for me like I feel like you gotta in your art, whatever that might be, like you need to be as yourself as humanly possible because like, it doesn't matter. Someone's going to hate it, you know, or someone's going to love it. So who gives a fuck? Just do the thing that you want to do for it, you know? Yeah, I love that Dita Von Tees quote. It's like, you can be the like the juiciest peach that ever lived or something like that, but there's still going to be someone that doesn't like peaches. So... <laughs> <laughs> I always, I always think of that, but you're so right. I mean, at the end of the day, like people are going to connect, um, you know, and uh, I I don't, it may not necessarily be like completely true, but like, I I feel like anyone can write a song and like, I feel like anyone can just start a band, but what differentiates your band from the next band is going to be your personality and like your spin on it. Like for you, like, yeah, if it's like writing, songs about getting stoned, like that's going to like really connect with like that sub niche of stoners who also like (laughs) death metal and they've been craving like, and, and that's like perfect. So um, yeah, it's this like interesting journey that we go on as artists because we're also like insecure and we're also shy. Like at least, you know, there's definitely like elements that are shy, but um, it's like a lifelong journey to be comfortable expressing yourself how you want to express yourself and be and be secure enough and know yourself well enough that like other people's opinions don't matter but also like you hope that your stuff connects with the people that need to hear it yeah i mean and i think that's always a challenge too like i mean you obviously again like being a performative art form like you hope that people engage with it because you want people to you know, respond. And that's kind of the purpose of doing it is to interact and whether that's live or whether that's, you know, by people listening to your music or whatever. But, you know, at the same time, like at the end of the day, like you are doing this for, for a purpose. And generally speaking, the, the people who I, you know, believe at least 
find the most success out of it are the people that are doing it because they want to do it and they're passionate about doing it. They enjoy what they do or even if they don't like always enjoy every, you know, part of the process, some part of it is the, is their favorite part. Like, I mean, a big thing in my experience has been like, I've been in a lot of bands with people who their favorite part about being in a band is, is writing songs and practicing. Like that's the thing that they like doing. Whereas my favorite part is like, is playing shows. And I don't know if that comes from like, again, like drama or whatever, but, and I'm also like a pretty extroverted personality. So it's about interacting with people and, you know, like a, you know, not like a downfall, but like a big thing for me was like when I realized like, oh, playing music is like an opportunity to go to a pub and you can have fun and you can drink and you can play music. And it's like all the things that I like doing happen at the same place. Like (laughs) that's, that's why I want to do it. So, you know, but I will happily be in a band with someone who that isn't their favorite thing, but I give them the thing that they need, which is participating as part of the songwriting, participating in, in their practicing or whatever. And then I get out of them what I need, which is, you know, performing it and playing shows and being out there and being with people, you know? Yeah. I mean, when I think about my favorite parts of being in a band, it's, you know, a lot of it was to do with, um, at least when I was first starting out, a lot of it was to do with like the lifestyle, like coming from that 80, like eighties background of like the fun and the partying and, um, you know, being able to travel and stuff like that. I mean, mm-hmm. of course I, I've been writing songs forever, like since I was a little kid, but, um, to be able to then, um, I think, I think like people that choose this career path or choose to even do it as like a, a side thing, enjoy like those more lifestyle aspects of like, I used to love like finishing work and then well, everyone loves finishing work, but like, and then going to (laughs) rehearsals and like spending my weeknights Uh in a rehearsal room, like jamming with like, you know, four of my best friends and, and creating together. But I also love, as you said, like, I love being on stage. I love shooting videos and being in front of the camera as well. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily enjoy rehearsals so much anymore. (laughs) Um, but yeah, there's like, so many like it's such a varied um there's so many varied experiences as a musician um and it's like it's cool to find you know you're right like different people in the band like resonate with more with different elements of it yeah and I think as well like you also have to figure out how you want to attack it too like you said I mean you know there was certainly a time in my life where I was like you know and probably there was opportunities that I maybe didn't take where I could have um, you know, gone down the track of focusing entirely on that. And by whatever circumstantial thing that occurred, I didn't end up focusing like entirely my energy on it, but I focused enough energy on it that I need to sustain it. And I know that if I don't do it, that the other part of my life won't be good. Like I have my sort of entirely separate professional life But the cool thing is that a lot of what I've learned from doing the things that I've done in my work environment have also then applied very well to the band thing and then same vice versa. Like, I mean, I work in like, 
in management and I've done business degrees and things like that. So like those things apply very specifically to the band because I know how to do things that help the band from a business perspective. Then also being in the band has really helped with like public speaking. I have no problems running training sessions at work because I'm used to looking like an idiot in front of people. So like it's, it's fine for me to then go and talk in front of a group of people, you know? So it, it like, I think you, you really got to find how you fit within it and you know, you, you will work out how that will work best for you. Like, you know, like yourself, if you're more exploring that career through that path, like obviously that's a, that is a career path. That's a, you know, you can make your own successes out of that. And then other people find the other way. And, you know, and then there's the complete opposite side of it too, where it's just entirely a hobby, which is also, you know, again, it's art. You can do that as a hobby. That's fine. You know? Yeah. And like, I used to have this real, um, I guess like I didn't really understand cause I was so passionate about music when I was younger. I didn't really understand, um, like those, you know, anyone that did, were just like treating it as a hobby. I'm like, how could you not like sure. want to do this like forever? Um, but I think like, as I've gotten older, I'm, I guess like appreciating being in a band for what it is and like, you know, pursuing music as long as it's you know, whatever way that looks like to you is amazing. If it's like bringing joy to your life and as well, like a lot of like my peers and stuff, you know, some of them are full-time musicians, but they use say playing covers to like subsidize their income. And they don't feel like a quote unquote Mm. real musician because they're not getting the, their income purely from their original music. Um, So I think it's like a very interesting time at this moment where like, and especially during the pandemic where people have had to think outside of the box in the way that they approach like any business, really, I think we're like at a really cool time where we're like redefining what, what success looks like for us. So for me, like I'm full-time in my business now. Um, like, but I say that I would say that I work full-time in music because I coach musicians and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I work with bands and everything, but I also have my band and it's like, just because my income is coming from, you know, my coaching side of things doesn't mean that I'm like any less worthy as like a creative. So yeah. yeah, I think that musicians like discovering that more and more is like, we're allowed to have like multiple streams of income and it's like everything melds together in this like, cool little melting pot of like who we are as, as people. Yeah. And as like, I mean, at the end of the day, if, as long as it's making you happy and you're able to sustain living off it, like what's wrong with that? You know? Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a pretty good uh, place to wrap things up. But um, before we do, what's, uh, what do you want to, push out to people what what are the things that are happening for you at the moment yeah well definitely go check out the new single afterglow my band is called the last martyr we're from melbourne um we are melodic rock metal (laughs) and um i'm about to launch a course for musicians and music industry pros um all about confidence and personal branding so it's kind of touching upon some of the things that we talked about in terms of like confidence and like imposter syndrome and carving your own path and figuring out like who you are and who you want to present to the world. 
um, as, as like a personal brand. So yeah, I'm going to be launching that workshop, um, pretty soon as well. So you can just get that at monicastrut.com. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been fun.